everyone got a handout. You're well aware now the process. This is our last time together. It's bittersweet for me. I've so enjoyed studying God's word with you, and I'll miss doing that together with you. Do you remember back to our first week together, we talked about why do we study God's word and it wasn't to learn more Bible trivia and it wasn't even to obey. Do you remember why we study God's word every time? I I heard it, to know God because to know God is to love him. You know, that's not true about people. Sometimes the more you know them, the more you're like, whoa, okay. We're still supposed to love him, but I'm just saying, it's true about God. The more you know him, the more you will love him. And the more you love him, our Bible tells us very clearly, the more we will obey him. And the more we obey him, the more we are like Christ. So your so what now what questions right there on your handout at the very top. How has studying Ruth helped you know God? What have you discovered about God through this study? What have you been reminded of about God through studying the book of Ruth? You know, as I answer these questions for me, again, I never put anything on your handout with questions that I haven't already had to answer myself. And I made a list of what I've learned about God or been reminded about him through our study. And although our list may be different, they won't be contradictory. They may be different because that's the beauty of God's word and the gift of his spirit as our teacher. But for me, I see his love, his attentiveness to the detail in my life, his working always for good, always for my good, his creative ways, his perfect timing, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his perfect plan, his presence with me, and this is not an exhaustive list. So as we close today, I want to look at one more way that the study of the book of Ruth helps us to know God. And it's through the character of Boaz and his ultimate role as kinsman redeemer that we can learn about who God is. We pick up today in chapter 4 of Ruth, the last chapter, in verse 11 and go to the end of the chapter. So what's happening here is the elders give their blessing. Boaz becomes Naomi's kinsman redeemer. He is not Ruth's kinsman redeemer, right? He is Naomi's kinsman redeemer. He becomes Ruth's husband, Obed's father, King David's great-great-grandfather, and eventually the earthly father in the line of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. In the book of Ruth, we come across three different Israelite laws that are important to understand to know what's happening here. The first of which are the laws of gleaning, which we've already talked about those laws. But remember, these are the very laws that Ruth availed herself of, that God provided sustenance to Ruth and Naomi, that put her in the field of Boaz, that led them to meet one another, And eventually we have the end of the story here, really just the beginning in our lesson for today. When, do you remember when Ruth came home and told Naomi whose field she was in? Don't you know for Naomi that was such a boost to her faith? Because that was not a coincidence. That is, I I like to call those God incidents. 
because they're not coincidences. And I think if we look at our own lives, we're going to see these. I just rehearsed these yesterday. My daughter that's over in Europe, both daughters are in Europe right now, but the one that's there forever is sick right now. And I made a list yesterday of the God incidences that I know put her there. And it's a time to be faithful, to, to remember God's faithfulness and to know that he's still there with her now. And I wrote the list down. It may not make a lot of sense, but these are Rebecca's God incidences. Our move to Batavia, to Jackson, where we met the Furings, Our Czech Republic mission trips for years. The call on Rebecca's life to the atheists and the agnostics in Czech Republic before she ever met Radim. Then the timing of meeting Radim two years after that, her teaching plan fulfilled that she would teach here for two years and save her money and then go there. Our very neighbors that met Rebecca when she was one year old, when we moved here from Texas, are her neighbors, not just in Czech Republic, in the very city where she is, Olomotes. Not just in Olomotes, but literally in the flat above her. These are not coincidences. I could not have planned it. I, I could not have pulled this off in a million years. And that's what I mean by the God incidences in our life. And this is what we fall back on when we need to bolster our faith in God. And I believe that's what happened for Naomi. I think that was a turning point when Ruth came home and she said, yeah, some guy named Boaz, I'm in his field. Okay, let's keep going. All right, so in these last two chapters, we have two more laws, the law of Leverite marriage involving the Levir and the law of redemption, which is a different law, and that is the one that is involving the kinsman redeemer. So first, the law of Leverite marriage. Now, I love this. Look at all the ways to pronounce this. So just call it whatever you want to. It doesn't matter. Look at all that. Just pick one. Leverite. All right. The term Leverite is a derivative of the Latin word Levir, meaning husband's brother. The law can actually be found in Deuteronomy 25. You can read it later on your own. But it specifically is, quote, the duties of a brother-in-law. That's found in verse 5. If there were no brothers or no brothers willing, then the nearest relative could marry the widow, but there was no obligation for the nearest relative to marry the widow. There was no obligation whatsoever. If no one chose to help the widow, she would probably live in poverty for the rest of her life, and thus you have the gleaning laws that come in to help those widows, okay? Kind of took the sting out of the way the inheritance laws worked back in those days. There is no levir for Ruth. There is no husband's brother for Ruth. A side note here, scholars disagree on what Boaz was doing when he lumps the two laws together. Did you notice that? And that when he confronts the, the nearer kinsman redeemer and he lumps these two laws together. And instead of getting hung up on what was he doing, was that right, why didn't the elders correct him? One scholar was saying that he believes, well, they believe more than one scholar says this, that the elders actually favored Boaz over the other kinsman redeemer, and so there was no correction. We don't know. What I would rather focus on is, look at the beautiful thing. God does both for us. He redeems us and makes us his bride. God does both. According to the Jewish Encyclopedia, again, the case of Ruth is not one of Leverite marriage, 
being connected rather with the Institute of the Goal. So let's move to that law. And this is called the law of redemption. The Goal comes from the Greek word legol, which means to redeem. In the Hebrew Bible, it denotes a person who has the nearest who as the nearest relative of another is charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging his wrongs. So a, a strict definition of the goal, this is it. Redeemer, reclaimant, especially a next of kin upon whom according to ancient Hebrew devolved certain family rights and duties, including the avenging of a murdered kin's blood and the redemption of the person or the property of a relative in debt or helpless circumstances. So the Jewish law gave the right of both avenging and redeeming to the next relative. That's why it's called the kinsman redeemer. Now you can read in scripture if you'd like to. The avenging part is found in Numbers 35. And the redeeming part and the repurchasing part of the law is found in Leviticus 25. In the book of Ruth, the law of redemption was in respect to the redemption of the property of land, right? That Elimelech had owned. And it was on Naomi's behalf. Again, you can read this law that pertains to the, the redemption of land in verses 23 through 28 of that Leviticus 25 chapter. But the law of redemption, remember, applied to more than just land. It also applied to the redemption of a person. And this is in the same chapter, Leviticus 25, verses 47 through 49. I want us to focus there this morning. Suppose a foreigner or temporary resident becomes rich while living among you. If any of your fellow Israelites fall into poverty and are forced to sell themselves to such a foreigner or to a member of his family, they still retain the right to be bought back. Even after they've been purchased, they may be bought back by a brother, an uncle, or a cousin. In fact, Anyone from the extended family may buy them back. They may also redeem themselves if they have prospered. Boaz, we know, acted as Naomi's kinsman redeemer in redeeming the land. He did not redeem a person enslaved because neither Naomi nor Ruth were enslaved. Stay with me here. What Boaz did for Naomi... Jesus does for us and more. Jesus does not redeem property for us. He redeems us. Like this example in Leviticus 25, 47 through 49, the example of the redemption of a slave. Let's look at the four qualifications from scripture for a kinsman redeemer. He must be a kinsman. Okay, this was made very explicit. You heard all the different relations that the, the man could have must be related to the one whom he's going to buy back out of slavery. He must be near of kin. Second, he must be free himself. A slave was unable to purchase another slave. A kinsman redeemer must be free himself, free of the debt and of the bondage, which had fallen on the one who was to be redeemed. He must be free of any calamity or need of redemption himself. 
Third, he must be able to pay the price. If he did not have the necessary sum of money, which was required to pay the purchase price, then he would not be able to redeem his relative. And lastly, he must be willing to pay the price. Because it was not enough, bless you, to have a kinsman who was able to accomplish the work, bless you. He must also be willing to make the sacrifice of paying the price. When the price was completely paid, the redemption was complete. What does the book of Ruth teach us about God? Do you see it? I don't need a kinsman redeemer to redeem any property. My need is greater. I need a kinsman redeemer to redeem me. I need a redeemer. Look at Romans seven fourteen. I am enslaved. I am a slave to sin. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. And I am not alone. Listen to Isaiah. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, this is a prophetic the sins of us all. And then in the New Testament, Romans 3, 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I need a kinsman redeemer. You need a kinsman redeemer. The stakes are high with eternal consequences here. Listen to the next verse after this Romans three twenty three, which is kind of a, well, it is a gloom and doom verse. I mean, that's bad right there. Listen to the very next verse, though. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. So let's look at Jesus and his meeting of the four requirements of a kinsman redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman. This is actually what we celebrate at Christmas, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus kinned himself to us. Jesus, by becoming flesh and blood, made himself eligible to become our kinsman redeemer. He meets the first requirement. Listen to Hebrews 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Galatians 4. But when the right time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom. Do you hear it? God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Wow, do you hear all that stuff we are when we are redeemed? We are God's child. We are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, the law of Moses was unable to save us. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body. Here we go. The first requirement of the kinsman redeemer. In a body like the bodies we sinners have. 
And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So God became man, one of us, the first of the kinsmen redeemer requirements. It was impossible for God to save us a part of the incarnation of Christ. God could not die for us because God cannot die. He is eternal life and he is the source of life. So only by being born as a man, stay with me here, it's actually very logical. Only Remember, our faith is not blind, it is thinking faith, think only by being born as a man and taking on human flesh could he experience death for us. And he did die on the cross. All right, second, Jesus was and is free from the bondage of sin. Jesus Christ was the only man who had ever been free from sin. From the day that Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden to this day, all have been under that bondage. Only Christ was qualified to set us free. 2 Corinthians 5, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And then in 1 John, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Third, Jesus was able to pay the ransom price. Even if there had been another man, listen how logical this is. Even if there had been another man who had been without sin, which there isn't, the Bible's clear on that, but even if there had been, the death of that man would still be lacking the infinite merit to pay for the sins of the whole world. At best, the sacrifice of that finite man could only atone for the sins of a single man. Does that make sense? This is why we need Jesus. But the death of Christ was not the death of a mere man. It was the death of an infinite being. It was the death of God in the flesh. God died in our place. Only the death of such a one could have been sufficient enough to save the whole world for all eternity. Listen to 1 Timothy. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom. Do you hear it again? That's the kinsman redeemer. To purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. In 1 John 2 and then in 4 we read, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Such a strange word, propitiation. And by the way, that T is said, shh, propitiation. We normally don't, has anybody used that word, I don't know, this year in your life? The word propitiation actually refers to an appeasement, a payment which satisfies. And the word was used in the Greeks to describe an offering that was bought to appease the wrath of an angry God. So like they're um, in the midst of a violent storm, the people would think, wow, we must have really ticked off Poseidon. We need to come up with an offering to calm him down. They make their sacrifice, their offering. The storm ended, newsflash, the storm would have ended no matter what, right? No storm lasts forever, whatever. The storm ended and then they would say, 
We did it. His anger has been propitiated. There's a deeper meaning in the Hebrews, for the Hebrews. In Jewish theology, there is actually a place of propitiation. It's located inside the temple at the very center in the Holy of Holies. Within that room of the Holy of Holies stood a single article of furniture made of wood covered in gold. The Ark of the Covenant, and it was Aaron's rod, a bowl of manna, and the broken remains of the Ten Commandments. This was known as the mercy seat. It also had another name. It was called the Hilasterion. It was called the propitiation. That was called the propitiation. It was here that the high priest would come once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Jesus is our high priest. He has made the offering for our sins. He has appeased the righteous anger of God once and for all. His, he bore the wrath of God in his own body on the cross. Fourth, Jesus was willing to pay the price. The price to redeem me, the price to redeem you. This is the most amazing truth of all, that God loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. Listen to John 10. The father loves me. This is Jesus speaking. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Jesus said again in Mark 10, this is Jesus speaking, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the purpose Jesus came to be our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. In Hebrews, we read, unlike those other high priests, you know, the ones that come into the propitiation once a year, to offer the sacrifice. Unlike all those guys, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. Do you see the voluntary? He was willing to do this. He offers himself. Titus, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. And when was redemption complete? Redemption was completed when the price was completely paid. Jesus completely paid the price for our redemption. Listen to 1 Peter. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the, spot, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. The, the price was high, higher than any amount of silver or gold. It was his own blood that redeemed me, the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Hebrews 9 says, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, 
He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Jesus secured our redemption forever. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus himself said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, and that includes me and you. Jesus came in the cradle for the very purpose of the cross, to redeem me and to redeem you. Jesus' payment was voluntary, sacrificial, obedient, vicarious. He is our kinsman redeemer. Redemption was completed when the price was completely paid. Is there a hymn going through your minds? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Listen to this verse, not sung very often. Listen and think of Ruth. And now complete in him my robe, his righteousness, close sheltered neath his side, I am divinely blessed. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. That's all I'm going to have. Jesus died my soul to save. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus is the sinner's nearest kinsman. He is our kinsman redeemer. I lay myself at his feet, at the feet of the cross, my goel, and I say to Jesus, cover me with your blood and with your grace. And he does. I am redeemed. There's a beautiful poem by Francis Crosby, written over a hundred years ago, Fanny Crosby. Do you know this one? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. He's always with me, is what that's saying. I think of this, my favorite verse. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. At the end of the book of Ruth, the words of Naomi's friends are a fitting reminder of God's grace for you and for me today. They say, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. Well, praise and glory to God, right? Did you hear that? The women said, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. Listen to the first book um, of Ephesians chapter 1. 
In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And now you Gentiles, that's us, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. That's the kinsman redeemer. Do you hear it? It's the book of Ruth right here, written in front of our eyes. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. You know, Thanksgiving is coming and some may find yourself in a very difficult position, maybe even harder than what Naomi and Ruth found themselves in. And I want to encourage you with the truth that God is with you. God loves you. God is working. God is good. God is working for your good. God is trustworthy and you can trust him. In this Ephesians 1 passage, there are 10 thankfuls that are true for each one of us who have laid ourselves at the feet of Jesus and asked for his covering. If he is your kinsman redeemer, these 10 are true no matter what else is happening in your life. So I want to encourage you with these and pray these over us as we leave. 10 thankfuls, and I put them there on your handout for you. You can take them with you and pray them this week. The most important question you're ever gonna answer is uh, on the response, so what, now what? Is Jesus my kinsman redeemer? Have I asked Jesus to redeem me? If not, what am I waiting for? If I need more information, where might I find it? Is there someone with whom I can ask my questions? If I have asked Jesus to redeem me, he has. With whom can I share what Jesus has done for me? I know I speak for so many women in this room this morning. If you want to talk to anybody about this, man, can I be first? Um, but your leaders would also like to talk with you. I know Julie would love to talk with you if you have questions, but I would love to talk to you. That's really mean because I'm up here, isn't it, Julie? You want to talk to him as bad as I do, but I'm up here. Because you can't keep it in when Jesus redeems you, right? I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. So these 10 thankfuls, no matter our earthly situation, no matter if we were in the same situation as Naomi and Ruth, no matter if our situation is worse, no matter, no matter, these 10 are true of you if you have come to your kinsman redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for my redemption through his blood. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for your rich grace that you lavish on me. Thank you for the truth of the good news. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for identifying me as your own. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your sure inheritance. Thank you for purchasing me to be your own. I praise and glorify you. Amen.